11 weekday mornings. That's really where they want to go. On 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. Here's your weekly dose of Uncommon Sense with Cass. Brought to you by College of the Ozarks. Developing citizens of Christ-like character who are well-educated, hardworking, and patriotic. On 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. It's that time again. It is the weekend, and that means Uncommon Sense with Cass. And I have a couple ladies in studio with me today to that I have just, you know, really enjoyed getting to know over the last couple of years. I think it's been over a year now that I've known both of you. And I um, have, I, yeah, it's yeah I've had the highest respect for both of these ladies. I have Sophie Shore and Senator Joe Carter. Sophie is the chief of staff for Senator Joe Carter, and Woo-hoo. Jill Carter represents the um like kind of Jasper Newton County area. That's right. I have a lot of family around there, so that's really awesome. That's awesome. Good people. Absolutely. Um and they are in today and I'm going to give them a platform to just speak their minds about <laughs> You might regret that. What's going on right now in um politics in Missouri and they are um they're important voices to hear because they're in a very small minority of really um passionate movement people versus people who are in just to have power, just to have some sort of like ego filling booster saying, Oh, I'm a Senator. I, I work in Jeff city. I work in the Capitol. So, um, I, you know, this is what I crave. I crave this attention and this power. No, they're, they're people that are up there to actually get things done to better the United States of America. They're patriots. They love America. They believe in it. And, uh, Welcome to the show, ladies. Hey, thanks so much for having us this morning. You guys were in um, last Tuesday hosting Wake Up Springfield because Tim has been out on vacation. And uh, we really enjoyed that morning having you guys on. Um, and towards the end of that morning, you guys were having a conversation talking about the truth behind the curtain of what goes on in our Missouri state legislature and why people down here should care and know about it. Can you um, kind of rehash that conversation and then expound upon it? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll just, yeah, we'll get, we'll get right into it. Um, (laughs) It won't take us very long. (laughs) So I'll just kind of set the scene. Um, Senator Carter, you had never been in office before. Correct. Um, You did not serve in the house and you, your only real experience was as a grassroots kind of person that went up to the Capitol on your own dime to advocate for different big Republican issues. Right. Um, so, I mean, that's a bit of a, and, and you beat an incumbent, which hasn't happened, I think, since before the Civil War, which I really do need to check if that's true. Um, <laughs> we, we keep being told Yeah, that I feel like I just keep making up numbers. Sounds on that. great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, bottom line is in recent memory since I've been alive. So, I mean, just, what was it like for you coming in for your first year, not knowing the senators that well? I mean, you obviously knew some of them from different things, but not knowing, not having those personal relationships, having to develop those, you're a naturally pretty um, relational person, but on top of that, having very strong principles. So just what was it like for you your first year? Um, I I think you got to see front and center. Yeah, I did. <laughs> How that went. Um I mean, honestly, it's a wrestle, right? You were kind of in this this um, type of, type of paradigm where you're advocating for what people want, but when you get up there, that is that conversation really doesn't exist in the realm of of how we how we move things forward. And um, so you're constantly oh, oh, there's my. a lot of personalities. Oh, oh, yeah, completely. Mm-hmm. And I'm the kind of person who 
I mean, one of my favorite quotes is from a French philosopher that says, um, what is knowledge but the slow and winding of our blindness? I love that. I Ever since I read it initially years ago, it's become my favorite quote, simply because I love conversation. I love the process of coming to a conclusion that everybody benefits from. And up there, you're thinking, good, we're going to be able to have these conversations about, look, I might see it this way, you might see it that way. But ultimately, if we're all trying to do what is in the best interest of the people that we serve, then we're going to be able to come to a, a place of commonality. And there's this belief that, okay, like, I'm a Republican. I ran as a hardcore Republican right. that wants to do big Republican things. Right. And and so did everybody else. Yeah, and I'm a right? movement conservative and, you know, like, 2016, Trump, hoorah. Like, yeah. you know, now we're kind of figuring out what's going to happen in the presidential this year, obviously. But there was there's this feeling, if you're naive <laughs> a little bit yeah. and in the best way like oh these people are well, like, just like everybody on the yeah, street right these people feel like i do actually about spending yeah. about all these issues they actually feel the way that they so, campaigned so right. yeah what was that like for you the, were you just is the uniparty real i guess is the uniparty a real thing i would say yeah i would say yes i'm having gone up there for about 12 years prior to this the reason why i ran was because i saw from the galleries I kind of had the front bench seat as to trying to get legislation across the finish line, mostly having to do with education, but some of those other issues, like gun rights and the heartbeat bill, things like that, that, that these were my kind of people from across the state using these initiatives, using these issues to try to really do something that was impactful and good. And seeing the pushback, you know, of, of how difficult it is to get some of these big Republican things done in a, in a predominantly Republican led supermajority um legislative body i why is it so difficult and you just keep asking the question why mm-hmm. is it so hard to get big republican things done there isn't anybody i've asked people who doesn't want to be in florida right now who isn't admiring florida for the big things that they're doing everybody raise their hand they, we all raise our hand we all want those same things then why can't we have it in a supermajority in missouri is there ever moments in time when you're up there and you see somebody who ran as a Republican that is not acting like it and it's it's blatantly obvious they're doing very, very anti-Republican things? Is there ever a moment where you have the opportunity to look them in the eyes and ask them why to defend it and what do they say? So there, there's been a couple of conversations that I've had that um, one in particular where I asked, you know, there was poli- there was a potential policy change and and I found out um that conversations were being had behind the you know in the background about not supporting those policy changes and so I just I called this person up and asked him like why are you here mm-hmm. you know to go home and say again because I've been front bleachers up there and then I come home and would participate in these Republican rally kind of type events ice cream socials and things like that and watch them get up and talk about we did this and we did that and this is what you know this this and this they never talk about what didn't get done what could have gotten done what was proposed to get done what was on the back burner could have been on put on the front burner and just it fizzles out yeah or the things that they were undercutting behind closed doors so even with the bill that you know regretfully has the sunset on it to stop gender transition procedures and chemical mutilations um or chemical i'm sorry chemical castration genital mutilation surgeries the amount of effort that it took 
to pass that. And really, like, an op- the opposition, you know, yeah, the Democrats opposed it, but the main issue a lot of the times when you're negotiating big deals is if you have a really strong leader that's teaming up with Republicans and then pushing it off to the other party to say, like, hey, take it or leave it. Were there Republicans that were in favor of that sunset on that bill? No, that that was and, the, and what, but what, but why? What was their what was their reasoning that they can, that they could look you in the eyes and give you and defend, saying I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican, and I am for this sunset. Def- how did they defend it? it? Was it's all about negotiating? I mean, they say that that was the only way that they were going to get it passed. And again, I say there's 24 of us, 24 of us like-minded people who, again, when we ran, I mean, the polling numbers were consistently off the charts when it comes to men and women's sports and protecting our children and yet 24 of us cannot agree to just hold the line and fight this issue for the most vulnerable population Mm -hmm. in missouri which is our kids and we got overnight one night so i think that oh yeah that was I, i mean the view from who i would say are the more what you'd call movement conservatives a little more hard nosed was Hey, let the Democrats filibuster for as long as it takes. Like, let's wear them down a little bit. Well, and again, let them have their say. You know what I'm saying? Like, the Senate is about debate and yeah, deliberation. Yeah, for sure. So let them, I mean, go for it. I respect your right. But right? I mean, a few years ago, like the GM bailout or the GM bill, like conservatives filibustered for days. Uh, yeah. Left to filibuster for days. On their own. Right. And when it comes to these big issues where we do have camaraderie and honestly, like even some of the more moderate members were that I would typically say are moderate were like, yeah, like, let's get this done. But there was just an unwillingness to go for a longer time. So one of the things that I want to do on this show that I that I use Uncommon Sense for is to make complex political, social, cultural topics um, accessible and makes sense to the average everyday American who doesn't consume politics every day, 24 seven. So let me try to get this straight because I'm not somebody who's ever worked in Jeff city. I don't know what's going on. I'm, I don't walk in your shoes. So I'm trying to understand this. So you have in the Senate, you have the Republicans and the Democrats and an issue, a big issue at hand, 24 to 10. And you guys are going at it and you have Democrats that are filibustering this big conservative piece of legislation. And the hard-nosed conservatives would say, let's outlast them. Let's let them say their piece, but let's have more fortitude and just wait them out so that we can still get this done. And then you have maybe the slushy moderates who are like, hey, no, we just want to get this passed and over with so we can go home for the evening. And they don't want to outlast them, so they compromise really important pieces of the bill so that they can not have to deal with all of that? Is that what's going on? I think in the perspective probably of leadership, they were saying, well, you won't let us pass it the last week, so now we have to make compromise to get out of the Senate. And what the position of the conservatives would have been, hey, every time we've tried to pass this the last few years and the last week, everything goes haywire. And it never gets passed. Other bills are used up in negotiations that we don't like. We don't really want children's health and safety being part of the gambling procedure like being part of the like negotiations the, chi- the negotiations the chips that are you know like the the dies that are cast so, so children were being used as a as no, a no. bargaining well, chip well, not, during other conversations that have nothing to do we're with saying it? that pieces of legislation right right yeah i'm not saying this specific i'm just saying normally what happens is these big conservative 
pieces mm-hmm. um, that they know certain factions want are used at the end to get other things through. They're well, leverage. Okay. They're used yeah. as leverage. They're leverage. Other pieces of sludge, quote unquote, right? So yeah, so leadership would have said, oh, well, we wanted to wait till the last week, but you're making it do us, making us do it now. And conservatives would have said, well, we never do it the last week. We haven't done it the last two years. So let's go ahead and wear them out now and get it done because this is something that we really should pass this session. And so those were just the two different dialogues going on. You can obviously figure out which side Senator Carter was on. Um, but yeah, would you agree? What are your, what are your comments? No, that, that is a, that's a great summary of what happened. And so usually in the past, again, you, you say, well, you want to get done you know, as a Republican Party within the caucus, you want to get these things done, um, big Republican issues. Um, there's some other things that we want to get done. And so in order to get what you want, you have to sit down and be quiet about these other issues. Right. You know. So would you like to take a few minutes to respond to any criticisms you've been getting from your first trip around the sun in the legislature and, um, Kind of give your side of the story. I would say I think the biggest criticism that I've heard is the Senate, the Senate um, body, in its you know as a whole holding up legislation. The only reason why we got you know forty eight, forty nine bills sent to the governor is because and there are certain people, quote unquote, in the conservative movement, Republican Party, that hold up pieces of legislation. Mm-hmm. I would love to say a. We don't control the bills that come to the floor. We have no control over that. Once that process is is um, gone through, the bills have been gone through, and it's had time on the floor, it's completely up to the majority leader what bills come to the floor. So we have no control over that. All we can do is respond and amend and but try to make the bills You can do, like, motions, but the thing is those, that's not taken very kindly. <laughs> well, well yeah. it's so unkindly that we just don't even really talk yeah, about it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so, so you can't, so that's kind of what you're left with. So, so I, you know, again, you don't have, I don't have that much power, but you can amend it and you can try to make it better or you can, um, stand in and filibuster and filibuster. Yeah. I mean, those are the only ways you can really. The thing, the thing that's great about the Senate, and I, I don't know if I said this on this or before, but Mark Twain said it best, no man's liberty is safe when the legislature is in session. I mean, he was a Missouri, Missourian. He knew, mm-hmm. he knew just as well as us. And the things that are getting done aren't things that, you know, the everyday person is Once. really concerned about or wants. You know, a lot of these things are special interests. They're designed to increase profits in certain areas. Tax credits, you know, like this for corporations, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so these aren't things that a lot of people care about as much. And there are conservative things that should have gotten done this session. Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone's disputing that. But the reality of the situation was if those big conservative things were priorities, they would have been brought up before the last two weeks of session. Yeah. We're going to take a quick pause here. And when we come back, I want you guys to dive into something you talked about um, a few days ago on the morning show. Um, Some of those everyday American priorities that should be getting done and are great ideas that people criticize or ridicule or don't want to help you get done. Um, and, uh, we're going to be right back with Uncommon Sense with Cass. Right now I have on Sophie Shore and Senator Jill Carter. They are a dynamic duo up in Jeff City. 
and Real Movement Conservatives. I'm going to be having a extended conversation with them, just letting them share their heart and why they believe what they believe. What happens next? These individuals that are sending him money have ties to Chinese intelligence. Happens right here. I'm not taking a... Weekday afternoons 4 to 6 on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Here's your weekly dose of Uncommon Sense with Cass. Brought to you by College of the Ozarks. Developing citizens of Christ-like character who are well-educated, hardworking, and patriotic. On 93.3 and AM 560, KWTO. We are back with Sophie Shore and Senator Jill Carter uh, on this fine Saturday morning. Although this plays on Sunday evenings, too. Um, there's an encore performance of Uncommon Sense of Cast because people just can't get enough, right? <laughs> Best show. Uncommon Sense of Cast. I love it. <laughs> I had that name idea for like three years, wanting to make a podcast called Uncommon Sense of Cast. And I just could never find the right time or place to do it. And then all of a sudden I graduate college and I'm working at a radio station and I'm like, now is the time. This is my chance. Well, guys, we were having a conversation about the truth behind the curtain um, of what goes on in our Missouri state legislature and in politics in general and some of the roadblocks that movement conservatives face, even from other Republicans. And I think it's just heartbreaking and just frustrating beyond measure i i i hear stories like this and i just want to pull my hair out because i just am disappointed in our people we are we brag we brag as a state oh we have republicans across the board in all of our statewide offices we have a super majority but we don't we really really don't because if we really had a true super majority of honest to goodness republican conservative people then we wouldn't be having these problems that I'm, I'm hearing from you guys about. Um, so I, we had a conversation on the morning show a few days ago about some of the pieces of legislation that you have been um, tackling that are actually things that the average person in Southwest Missouri cares about and deals with. Can you talk about some of those? Yeah, so IP reform was a big one. Um, initiative petition reform, um, dealing with constitutional amendments and how those are adopted and, yeah. and change our constitution. That was a bill that, that we had to make it more about voters, not votes, right? Right now we have, we, we've seen this across the board on some of the, the issues that now that we're dealing with, the marijuana issue and some of the other, um, constitutional amendments that we've passed lately, where you have Kansas City, St. Louis and kind of the outlier, um, cities changing the constitution without really a consensus across the, the state. So our IP reform um, initiative petition reform would have, it was called a concurrent majority reform. And what it does is makes it where there's still 50 plus one simple majority, but it's represented by, by house or congressional districts. So you have to have the rural area kind of has a voice. It's it's kind of just like we do at the federal level, yeah. you know, where everybody is represented. Yeah. And once you reach that fifty plus one, then then the then it changes the constitution. Um, when you look at the demographics of as much information as we could pull about how the marijuana issue um, kind of played out, um, a lot of the counties did not support um, the marijuana issue. And so, again, trying to make it more about voters um, and not just votes mm-hmm. by the more populated um, areas of Missouri. What's at stake with IP reform? 
So what's at stake right now is we're seeing, I think last I talked to Jay Ashcroft, which was a little while back, um, he said that there were 30-something <clears throat> initiative petitions being started for abortion rights, mm-hmm. right, for to make abortion a right. And so our stance in Missouri, we have the best, I think, one of the best across the country as far as our the heartbeat bill. Um, where yeah, Our pro-life protections. Yeah, pro-life strong. protections for, for kids. And so that's it. That's really what's at stake here. So it, I think it's fascinating. And people, um, the average person, like I said earlier, who doesn't consume politics 24-7 may not understand how a, a, a something, they, a phrase they hear, initiative petition reform. First of all, they probably don't know what that is. Right. How um, a state like Missouri, who has a basically all-encompassing ban on abortion, how that could possibly be reversed just by a simple obscure question on their ballot and how that comes to, to, to light. So take a moment to do a initiative petition reform, how it affects abortion for dummies for somebody who's never heard of it before. So initiative, did you want to speak? Uh, well, I'm just going to say like, our, we call it ratification reform. People, IP reform is an easy way for people to just understand because there's the IP process mm-hmm. and then how it's ratified, like how the signatures are collected and in what manner. That makes it a viable petition, process. right? Yeah, yeah, a process. And then there is the way that it's ratified once it's on the ballot. And so, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of conjecture about what needs to happen for something to be on the ballot. Um, the hard part is, is that whatever restrictions you put on it as far as cost, number of signatures, I mean, rich people that are wanting... Special interest yeah, groups. Yeah, like Soros backed groups that have plenty of money come in always paying people to come paying people from california to come stand outside of your library in barton county and get signatures to undermine your state stance on on these issues yeah right and so that's that's just always something to keep in mind when you're having the conversation just as far as how something is put on the ballot and then ratification you know how once it is put on the ballot how much it has to pass by and so, you know, there are a lot of different opinions, honestly, even within the, like, there are people that think the IP process should be way more difficult and the ratification. There are people that think the ratification or the IP alone should be reformed and not ratification. There are people that think IP should be done away with altogether because we're, you know, a constitutional republic. Mm-hmm. We have a representative form of government. So there are a lot of views across the board, but ours specifically was dealing with ratification and how once on the ballot what it would take to pass. And uh, the reasoning was is that, like she said, with the marijuana issue, like, gosh, I mean, I think the marijuana is, the issue is super problematic. I mean, now everybody... It's gateway drug, essentially. Yeah, and then, like, there are so many studies coming out on how it decreases brain matter and everything else. And, you know, I mean, my dad's always said, stay away from it. I call the devil's lettuce, you know. My dad thinks <laughs> that's hilarious. But um, now everybody has to, like, live with it. And that was really unfortunate because a lot of these rural areas did not want that. And so just having to have a wider consensus, it was originally House districts. The view was campaign-wise, grassroots might be able to mobilize a little bit better against a lot of these big spending efforts. Um, and then on the opposite side, there were people that really disagreed with that idea that it would stop any of these initiatives at all. But in, in my mentality, my thought process on that is the goal isn't necessary to be a one-issue you know, um, to change the constitution or the ratification process for one issue. What it is, is to try to help people have a more equal voice ultimately. Right. Right. I mean, if, if the will of the people is, you know, to do something, 
that it happens to be absolutely the majority of the people, then that is what we have. We have a representative democracy and republic, and we need to be able to have people's voice be able to be heard. But as it is now, the ratification process doesn't even take into consideration that balanced approach of rural, urban mm-hmm. tug. You know, because yeah. then you can have uh, Springfield, Kansas City, and St. Louis deciding issues for yes. the whole state. Yes, no, and yeah, in the urban areas, like they are continuing to swell, mm-hmm. and you want to make sure that people that are, frankly, I think a lot of the time, you know, do have more conservative values. You know, there are less. There are a lot of people that they're on. They live a different life. They're on generational farms sometimes. Sometimes they're just in you know a rural area, and they have a different view of the world. And you want to make sure that their way of living isn't just absolutely squashed by everybody else. So anyway, but that was part of it. But what the actual initiative or the actual bill that ended up making it to the Senate that really wasn't debated hardly at all um, was the threshold raising the threshold. Um, that was. Yeah, yeah. The speaker wanted a straight up threshold increase, like sixty percent. I think was in order to pass. Yeah, started, and the fear was. I think it went down to fifty-seven by the time it actually hit the floor. There was a little bit of deliberation about it, but you know, initially, my my conjecture into that conversation is: look, it's been tried in Arkansas, South Dakota, I think it was, and another state, and failed blissfully. People do not want it harder. They don't want that threshold of being heard or getting something passed to be higher for them than it is the legislature. Yeah. So you had a lot of issues. You had the ballot language, like what will actually, what will people actually see on the ballot, right? You had, will they see the percentage? Will that dissuade them from voting for it? Um, and then, you know, you, once you had the percentage and concurrent majority, that made things kind of per- confusing as far as the ballot language. Like, which one is it? How is this going to be interpreted? And then it actually differentiated. There was a difference between the threshold or the ratification on the ballot and how the legislature would have to pass a constitutional amendment. I do like your approach that you've been talking about because it's almost like a good compromise because on one hand, you're not saying it's harder for the people to put something on a ballot, like people can be heard, but it's it has to be approved equally and represented equally throughout all of the different demographics of the state Meaning that, you know, it's like you said, it's just like our congressional it's electoral just like our congressional, Yes, <clears throat> where everybody has a chance to weigh in on this and the urban elites cannot overpower the people. I, I re- to me, it sounds like it's a good compromise between letting the people be heard and put something on the ballot and also making sure all different all different demographics can weigh in and have a say. Absolutely. And so then, you know, once the version came out to where the legislature was going to have a different threshold than the people in order to ratify, that's also a problem, possibly just when communicating. So you have Mm -hmm. to think about what message is going to go out there about this. And the Democrats were thrilled with what it ended up being. And so, you know, that's not super comforting obvious for obvious reasons. You guys have got to talk about that. I want you guys to tell the story of what happened at the end of session for the minority party in our state. What did they do out in front of Jeff City? Why did they do it? And what were they celebrating? Well, they were celebrating all the sludge that got passed, right? All of the things, all the bills. And this is this is the, again, juxtaposing the conversation over how 
there's seven or eight senators in the Senate that are so unwilling to let things get done. And then ultimately, at the end of the session, having the Democrats stand outside and celebrate everything that did get done. So, so what, what, what was the, what? Well, even DEI in the budget, like obviously the Supreme Court had ideas regarding recently regard I've heard actually because of the Supreme Court ruling that a lot of employee, employee, um, employee attorneys types, they're like, Hey, you actually companies are asking them, do I need to, do we need to revisit our DEI policy? And they're like, you absolutely do. And so we tried, like Senator Hoskins tried to put an amendment that would have eliminated DEI in the budget. For that, for the for statewide. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, if you're receiving state funds, you can't <coughs> be doing DEI stuff. And so I he did that on several occasions. He tried it two different he times. He tried to do it on the department, just the departments. So it wasn't statewide. It was just state departments, things like that. And never, it was a no-go. You know what I'm saying? So these are the kind. So when they say, you know, if it wasn't up for the Senate and a couple of handful of senators, we could have got something done. No, what you got done is a result of as much pushback as we could thrust and interject about doing really big Republican things. And the result is all the sludge that got passed that the Democrats are celebrating. Mm -hmm. The budget was just a behemoth. I mean, it was just massive. And so we were up most of the night in several senators were questioning different parts of it and even tried to offer amendments to strip out parts of it what was different about the budget process this year is that you know in the appropriations committee senator huff really was ready to rock when it came to the committee time it was going so fast i think people were having trouble keeping up and you normally had to fight it out a little bit in committee you'd have to offer things up well this is what explanations right this is yeah this is for this is what this is for and and, it. and just, he didn't want to it was already baked that. into the cake and so the thing is like yeah a lot of people ask for pork but not all pork is created equal you know like if you're, you have things that are designed to maybe purify, time expenditures yeah to purify the water in a region that's maybe not built the same as you know doling out a little bit to a professional sports team right yeah yeah so so that's kind of this that was some of the debate that we were having is okay help us understand and again that those conversations may have they were limited in committee but they were definitely limited in the in the senate on the senate floor so when you know the for me for my first experience of oh my gosh we're just it's just a straight up and down vote it was like a 15 minute process it was intended to just be a 15 minute process where we have to have this done constitutionally by a certain deadline mm-hmm. and so there was a race to the finish and it's like again why are we doing this so last minute and so unintentionally and deliberately when so many people again at the kitchen table level are begging for kind of true reforms that as a supermajority republican um legislature can't deliver and the argument is oh you should respect all the work that the budget chair and the budget committee put in and you know okay like great that's we're super grateful for that but you also have uh, an obligation to your constituents. So I would like not to say to that to the ground. I would like to say that if you if that's the process and the mentality that you have for the budget, then you should also have that for pieces of legislation that are conservatively sponsored. Right. So to me, it sounds like the 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 leadership procrastinates hard things to talk about, and that they they leave it to the end. They leave it to the last minute so that it's there's almost like a sense of urgency to just get anything done and so that they can get things that slide through. And I'm assuming from an outside looking in that 
they do that so that they can actually have all the real negotiations over, you know, over dinner or over drinks, not where they're supposed to be having those negotiations. And so there's probably been a lot of debate. There's probably been a lot of conversations with lobbyists and all sorts of other things and all of the actual like negotiations are happening way beforehand. And then all of a sudden they put these, these big things right in front of your face, right at the last second. And there's an urgency and a deadline. And they're like, we have to get this done now. And so there's no time for the people that they know they don't want their opinions to be heard to just slide through. Well, and I think that's why we were kind of encouraged to just sit down and be quiet. I mean, there was a point where I, I mean, how many times was that said to you? Like just like that? Yes. Well, how many, all session. Sit down and shut up. See, those are the inside looks that I really want people who don't walk the that walk in your shoes, don't understand all the lingo that you guys are saying. Like, you as a state senator are told to sit down and shut up. I've never. Really That's something under- that people don't hear. I've never really understood the apprehension when it comes to going to the Senate floor and deliberating these big issues. Yeah, to me, like that publicly. That everything is like get it done behind, get it done first, and yeah, you should work your bills or whatever. But at the same time, don't you want the public to know what's going on in a way? I mean, like, aren't we all about transparency, right? Making more government transparent, and that's why I have you guys on this morning is is because I'm fascinated to hear these things and try to make them make sense in my mind and get a look inside your world because you know, as somebody who I, I went to college at the Ozarks. I'm a patriotic young person who is on conservative talk radio and likes to analyze and observe your guys' world and then make, you know, inferences from it. But then to actually hear the unfiltered truth about what goes on, I think that's so important for young people who are interested in politics to know ahead of time. And I think it's really important for voters to know so that they're not fooled by some very cleverly crafted campaign ad or some speech at a Lincoln Day dinner that riles people up because a lot of it, you're being lied to your face. Well, they again, will not tell you the truth. What are the fruits of that? You can see the fruits of, of what we're saying because yeah. we're not doing the big Republican things, right? We're right. not doing them. And it's not, again, look at the bills that, that, that we sponsor. Mm-hmm. They're, they're just not happening. Yeah. And, you know, you, uh, it's not our, like, I can't judge a person's heart. I don't know what's in the heart of every single person that I think is a rhino. You know, I don't know why they're doing what they're doing. But you're right when there is a certain un- unethical nature to when you campaign as somebody that you absolutely aren't. Mm-hmm. And you mock those same constituents that elected you and that believe that way. So let's talk about just, just a little bit about how we left session early in the middle of a, an important discussion to go to honor one of the Democrat leaders. Yes. We'll be right back with more on Common Sense with Cass. News, analysis, opinion. The thing that's a shock to the economy is an administration at war with the American people. The radical left is pushing us into a culture. With mostly sunny skies, light winds out of the north-northwest with a high near 93. I'm Fox 49 meteorologist Jamie Warner. Here's your weekly dose of Uncommon Sense with Cass. Brought to you by College of the Ozarks. Developing citizens of Christ-like character who are well-educated, hardworking, and patriotic. On 93.3 and AM 560, KWTO. We're back for just a few more minutes of Uncommon Sense with Cass this week. I'm very grateful to have Senator Carter and Sophie in with us today. Um, Just kind of sharing what's behind the curtain of politics and having important conversations and telling the truth to your face in a way that a a lot of politicians won't. 
And I appreciate that. And I appreciate their time this morning. Um, Senator Carter, take a moment to tell us what your, um, what you worked on this year, what you're proud of and what you are hoping to accomplish in the future. No, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, first of all, you know, I don't feel like a politician. I, somebody who just went up to the Capitol, just like everybody else, you know, that lives on the street and out there trying to work and provide for their families and take care of them. And the reason why I ran was because I felt compelled by what I knew by being up there for over a decade, trying to get legislation across the finish line mm-hmm. and just seeing how, how, um, the process is so broken. I mean, I think we could all testify to the fact that we all know something's wrong, but very rarely does somebody come and say, Hey, this is how the process worked this year. This is what, you know, where the pitfalls, this is what we could do better. And um, really pulls the curtain back to kind of talk about those things. I think one of the biggest things that we, I felt like was a huge win was our education conversations. Um, um, I, I believe, you know, there's a a hemorrhaging of teachers right now. Mm -hmm. Our kids are struggling in, in public schools. Our test scores are down. We've gone from, I have some schools schools in my district that are blue ribbon nationally recognized school districts that are now going to be provisionally accredited almost at that threshold because the benchmarks are constantly moving for our kids. Um, We have sex ed being rolled in. We have social emotional learning being rolled in. You know, there's a whole, a whole plethora of programs that are talking about these kids and mental health and all this other stuff, but we are not talking about education anymore in education. Mm -hmm. You know, we're talking about behavior issues. We're talking about, again, mental health. We're talking about all this other stuff and not even talking about the plight of our teachers, school boards, principals, superintendents, you know, all of this. So having this broader conversation about um, how did we get here 10 years ago, you know, having been on that education train and trying to shift the needle back to where there's more autonomy for the parents and the communities over the education of their children. And... We, and maybe learning a few things and not just being a number on a screen where you're taking a bunch of multiple choice tests at five years old and they're like insane reporting metrics to where you don't, I mean, these kids aren't even like learning. No, we're talking about, so it was funny because we were talking earlier about the Sound of Freedom movie and the data and, you know, everybody, all that's going on. And we're not even talking about the education system and how our kids are being, um, their intellectual property is being stripped from them you know, um, those kinds of issues. And so we sponsored a bill that would make it to where our local schools could have third-party accreditation. A lot of states do. In fact, more than half of the states across the country have third-party accreditation. And what does that mean and how would that impact? So what it means right now is the Department of Ed uses assessments to... The summative assessment at the end of the year, which is the MAP test. I'm sure you Mm -hmm. take that. I was homeschooled, so I took a different one. Okay. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. yeah it was like it's not a bad thing to know where you are on this scale. But the Department of Ed uses that as a metric for funding, and it uses the metric for um, accreditation. And so what you need to know about the assessment in education is the teachers never get to see it. The test scores don't come back till the kids moved on to the next grade. It doesn't inform teaching or education at all. What is it for, then? What do they great, use it for? Great question. They use it to just take a snapshot and say, and honestly, the Federal Department of Ed says that they need to have some kind of a, a test. But there's other tests that school districts are doing on their own that actually inform education, you know, what the kid's learning, their growth, 
um, how they can do better. And so the teacher is able to use that more real-time data and information from continuing tests through the year, smaller tests, just like your spelling test and things like that that you would take Mm -hmm. to kind of inform the growth of that student and how much they're learning. And they're not able to use, the schools right now are not able to use that in any way to say, wow, this kid was um, two grades behind in their reading last year, but look, their, their growth is, is there's a spike in their growth. Mm -hmm. None of that is reported to the the summative assessment is what you have to have to get federal funding. Mm -hmm. So the map test is what we use. The state department also uses it for accreditation. Half of the states in the country, a lot of states in the country, they do not use the summative assessment as an accreditation feature for their state department of education. Okay. So your question of third party accreditation and how that would impact them, it just gets that out from underneath the department of ed. Right. So what are some other direct policy changes that you believe could be made that would improve our education system? You probably just a few of the ones like you, you proposed some amendments and I don't think we've talked about them on the show yet. Mm-hmm. We talked about them the other morning um, with making it to where people would not be required to have a vaccine to get a transplant. Right. Well, or even the K-12 vaccine. Yeah. Today. And another amendment to take the mRNA out of the childhood, make sure it would not be included in the childhood schedule. Mandatory schedule. Yeah. And you also, when it came to the Medicaid expansion, you put a few cleanups. So what we were trying to to do is make it the expansion, Medicaid expansion. Again, this is something that happened under the Republican, you know, banner is we expanded, expanded Medicaid. Mm -hmm. And, um, so the goal was to make it a zero budget impact if we could. So stop double payments, which means when, because we are a border state and Kansas City and St. Louis, you know, a lot of people from Illinois comes over, they come over to get mm-hmm. medical treatment there in St. Louis. We, they double bill Missouri. So they get, Medicaid gets a little bit from Illinois, but we also um, pay into that as well for them. So it doesn't make any sense. So we're clean up the roles a little bit and the Medicaid roles and um, also clean up the roles, stop the stop double the payments, bu- stop the double payments. Yeah. that was, Those were the two big priorities. But people don't want to talk about, like, we just keep reeling in these government, pro- federal government programs, and it's like, oh, it's only an 80-20 match, but it's not going to be 80-20 forever. I mean, you have to see the writing on the wall with the federal government. It's going to move to 60-40. We're going to be on the hook. Our state budget cannot handle it. It's the most, besides education, it is the number one um, budgetary expense is Medicaid. Second is education. Education is supposed to be constitutionally, we have to spend 25% of our budget on our state budget on education. And, and it doubles, Medicaid is double what we spend on education as it's the first one. And education is half that at the second. And just the expansion with the amendment that passed on the ballot. I mean, the expansion to able-bodied adults and, you know, the, the big debate this year was Medicaid or the expansion to postpartum women who many of whom are dying because no drug abuse and drug addiction. And so their view was, well, if we can keep these women in the system for a year, um, then we can make sure that they're a little bit better able to handle the world and hopefully won't go on drugs again afterward. The problem was, is that there were no pro-life protections on it and so there was nothing to say well somebody gets an abortion yeah needed a pregnancy that's not the postpartum yeah there was no differentiation within that and texas had a really straightforward um amendment on their their p3 
piece of postpartum legislation and it was rejected by the feds. And so, I mean, and they were kind of, it seemed like they were kind of playing a game of chicken, Texas and the feds. But anyway, the, you were advocating for pro-life protections to be put on. Yeah. And it was something that, again, initially in the legislation, it was just enough of a piqued my curiosity to kind of dig further and see what was going on in Texas. We don't want to have this expansion of this program that is, you know, supported and sponsored initially by the feds to be something that is a backdoor way in of of um, endorsing abortion, you know, for women. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the reality is everybody is just like, oh, this is a great policy. But I mean, the Republican platform. No, I mean, I we got Senator Carter obviously does not hold that position. And I don't need I don't think it's a good policy because the Republican platform talks about not increasing Medicaid. And it's not fair for people to be paying for other people's stuff. Like, it's theft. Like, you're taking people's tax money that they've earned and applying it the way that you want in droves. And that isn't against the Republican platform. It's not something we believe in. And it's especially bad without pro-life protection. And then what we always, again, what we always do is say, well, what are we going to do because of this and this and this? You know, we have this situation. Well, again, we never stop to unpackage the deeper conversation or what are those contributing factors and how do we alleviate those those barriers to where there's incentives for married couples, just like there are for um, a single mom, right? I mean, there's so many situations where people come to me and say, look, I, I'm de-incentivized to not get, you know, to yeah. get married. And if I'm out here, I get all kinds of benefits and mm-hmm. all kinds of things for my kids and for me. But if I want to marry my, my, the father of my children, then all of that is taken away from us. You know, and we never have those kinds of conversations to really see what the impact would be on. Even the expansion of early childhood development. I mean, you are preparing. Okay, so the government takes care of your kid from cradle to grave so that the woman can be outside working to increase the state GDP. I mean, seriously. Well, and when we talk about education, we're always talking about workforce development. Yeah, and, and you're saying like, okay, you are you are rewarding. Like, I get childcare is an issue, but here's the thing. Like, you are rewarding a home in which parents, they don't, they don't need to be married or stay married. They don't need to rely on one another. They can rely on the government to take care of them. And the needs. government is now subsidizing their child. Yeah, and like, thank God, like women have, you know, the opportunity to work. Like that's an amazing thing. But I mean, the reality is instead of being home with our families, that so many people have bought this feminist pill or eaten, taken this feminist pill that instead of being able to take care of our families and work when we want, we have to work and we have, we give our kids over to the government to be educated and to be taken care of. And childcare is really expensive. Yeah, it is. And so it's like, you know, and it's all designed <laughs> yeah. to increase the GDP, to increase the output. It's not done with like your health or your thoughts. And so like no incentivizing these things is not good for our country, our state, our down society, the road. or yeah. our mental health. I and mean, again, we, we talk about the government comes in. Yeah, we need help. We have these mental health crises. We have kids that have behavior issues. We have, we need, now we need, um, juvenile detention centers for kids that have mental yeah. health, but we won't do anything to help the mom. And this is one of the issues that I would say, just to have the courage to say when it comes to the child care, where is the mom being subsidized to stay home with her kid where there's subsidies for the parent to go and work, the mom that is working? We're robbing our citizens of the ability to participate in civic virtue mm-hmm. and charity. And we're completely annihilating this whole portion of society that has been so beneficial for so long. And it's a problem. And so undermined. So you hope, you know, in the next session to make sure people are less reliant on government. Amen. 
That's our goal. Love that. Thank you, ladies, so much for taking the time today to sit here and have this conversation. And I just really appreciate Senator Jill Carter and Sophie Shore, um, Chief of Staff to Senator Carter, for being on Uncommon Sense with Cass this morning. Um, we will see you again on the next episode with more Uncommon Sense these days. College of the Ozarks loves having visitors, so we invite you to experience all this unique place has to offer. While on campus, visit Edwards Mill and the Stained Glass Shop, where students create fabulous mixes and handcraft amazing stained glass. Grab lunch or dinner at our award-winning dining and lodging facility, the Keter Center. Make your day special with a visit to College of the Ozarks and enjoy a place where traditional values and patriotism are still alive and well. For more, visit cfo.edu. My name is Reagan, and I am proud to be a student at College of the Ozarks. For more than a century, students like myself have been able to work on campus to offset the cost of tuition and graduate debt-free. With over 100 workstations to choose from, we are able to learn skills that will prepare us for the workforce, and we get to make items for you to enjoy, like our classic fruitcake, candles, student milk products, and fruit spreads. I love my college, and I know you will too. Check us out and learn more about our student-made products at cfo.edu. Okay, forest animals, today is a new day. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow. Yes? Have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. Okay, river. Dude. How's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. Perfect for a little riverside shoeless relaxation. Ah, good. Owl, you here? Cool. Who's asking? I am. Look, you know the drill. Sleep during the day, scare the kids at night. Perfect. I love my job. Uh, Oak Tree? Sup? Still in the same place I left you last year. That's what I like. Consistency. Well, it's not like I'm going anywhere for the next couple hundred years. I know. I love it. Uh, Turtle. Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, he's late every morning. You'd think you would have learned by now to leave the night before our meetings. Okay. Squirrel. Has anybody seen Mr. Mr. Squirrel? Squirrel? The forest has been preparing just for you. Visit a forest near you today.